You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 15. Uh, this is the last story in the book of Luke before we take a few month break uh, and before we really see Jesus' public ministry starting. And before that public ministry started, we are going to read this morning about the temptation of Jesus in the desert or the wilderness. And so a lot of this sermon, a lot of the text we're going to be reading deals with temptation. And when I say that, you may ask, what is temptation? Uh, when I ask that, and when I'd asked that in prep for this sermon, I uh, couldn't but help to go back to an old, horrible TV show that I'd never watched, but remember back in the mid-2000s when hearing of its creation, thinking, why in the world would anyone ever create or participate in that? Um, it was a reality TV show that if you've watched it, you don't have to start slouching down right now. I'm not going to judge you. God will do that for me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but it's a reality TV show in the 2000s that only had a three-year run, but then somehow, someway got more popular after it was canceled and then revived over the last several years called Temptation Island, okay? And if you've never heard of it, I'll give you a synopsis from Wikipedia of one of the trashiest reality TV shows ever, which if you know anything about reality TV shows, that's a high bar to be able to say that, okay? Temptation Island has four non-married couples who travel to a tropical island to have their fidelity tested. The couples are separated from one another for two weeks in which they are required to co-mingle with a group of single members of the opposite sex whose sole purpose is to persuade the couples to have an affair. Okay? Like, what couple would ever sign up for that? Like, what is your view on dating and marriage and even yourself to agree to that? In fact, that picture that you just saw on there, that was a guy, like, in the midst of the whole world watching and the other contestants over there, like, witnessing his girlfriend, what he says in an interview later, like, what he hopes to be future potential spouse cheating on him in front of the whole entire world and him himself. Like, what are you thinking? And know this, we will all be tempted, even though I think about like temptation in that way in that show, like many others do, even when you are not maybe stupid enough to choose to be on a TV show like that. Like we can all say, wow, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? Of course, temptation abounding. And like, what do you even think about those type of things? But do know this, we need to get off our high horse to a certain degree because we all will be tempted. Temptation to sin, including, but even way beyond sexual sin, has been universal throughout human history. No one has been exempt from it or the consequences of yielding to it. In the Bible, what we read and hear, temptation is an enticement to act in disobedience to God's will. Its sources, as revealed in the scriptures, are the world, the flesh, which is our sinful desires inside, and the devil himself. With that being said, Oscar Wilde, the famous Irish playwright, half humorously once said, I can resist everything except temptation. And as many of you probably know, in his case, it was quite true. The world increasingly ignores, laughs at, even 
mocks the idea of sin. And today, many Christians don't take it too seriously as well. Augustine once shared in his classic, the book Confessions, that he recognized he wanted to be delivered from his sins at some point, but he didn't want to hand his life over just yet. And he says in that book how dangerous that is. God takes sin very seriously, far more seriously than we do. We either obey God or we disobey him. There is no other option, and he holds us accountable for both. I've often commented on how us Christians can be deceived into thinking that we are 100% completely perfect and sinless here on this earth, especially as new Christians, that we think life is going to be perfect now, and again, we won't sin, there won't even be temptation to sin. Even here today, you may recognize and know, I used to think that, but oh, how temptation abounds right now. Temptations in certain ways will even be stronger, as C.S. Lewis brilliantly illustrated in his book, The Screwtape Letters. And while recognizing that, we also know that God has graciously given us his word. What we're about to read, this experience with Satan tempting him in the desert to show what to expect and how to fight and kill temptation and sin. The temptations we will read about this morning represent challenges to Jesus' identity and his mission. And in each case, Jesus responds by quoting scripture, reaffirming his identity and commitment to his heavenly father and showing us as Christians the great hope that we can be triumphant in temptations. So this morning, read with me Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And let's look at Jesus' time in the wilderness with Satan before his public ministry and teaching start. Luke 4, 1 says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Verse 8, and Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 12, And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And then verse 14 and 15, we see 
a tease for what's to come when we return to this book in April. Jesus begins his ministry, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This morning, this text is one of the greatest and needed and, I believe, most applicable and true narratives to Scripture. Now, I say that again, although we've seen so many different characters up to this point, John the Baptist and his parents and Jesus' parents and more in-length detailed account of course, his birth, childhood, leading up to this, and again, before his public ministry, this is, keep in mind, a true story of Jesus and one of the only accounts in Scripture that we see in the book of the Gospels in his face-to-face encounter with Satan. Like, if you watch Passion of Christ, that whole thing that happened in the very beginning, as powerful as it is, did not happen. This did. Jesus was face-to-face in the wilderness, being tempted to the utmost degree, showing and revealing to us of sorts how we will be tempted and the strategy to fight and kill sin. John Owen, in his great book, on mortification of sin, overcoming sin and temptation, had once said, do you mortify, which is a Puritan word for kill, (laughs) do you make it your daily work to kill sin? Be always at it while you live. Seize not a day from this work. Be killing sin, for it will be killing you. Jesus' temptation here follows three patterns that are common to all men, to all women. First, the temptation that we read and see in verses two through four. Temptation that concerns the desires or the lust of the flesh. Read with me the first temptation again. For 40 days, verse two, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, Jesus. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. We see here where Jesus is hungry. And the devil tempts him to convert these stones into bread after experiencing hunger from a 40-day fast. And Jesus replies back with scripture himself, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, saying, It is written, Man does not, shall not live by bread alone. Showing this first temptation, how we will be tempted like Jesus himself, certain desires or lusts of the flesh. You will be tempted by sin. Sinful desires within yourself Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives us a list of sorts of what these sinful desires of the flesh are. That's including sexual immorality, impurity, enmity or hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, envy, drunkenness, and more. We will all both born with and choose certain desires inside that is of sin that we should not trust. This can be even 
taken outside of that list as we pursue a desire to be happy over holiness. Those can be certain internal desires that is, is revealed by God's word that brings chaos over control and seeking even certain self-help outside of Jesus. And know this, these sins of the flesh, they do not just stay stagnant when we let them in or yield or submit to them, but they grow and they ravage. Uh, I, in somewhat prep for this, I already had it on my book list, but then knowing this was coming up, I read for the first time a book by an uh, old Puritan by the name of Thomas Brooks. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I'll quote from it a few times, but specifically concerning this temptation of the desires within the lust of the flesh, Thomas Brooks says, until we have sinned, remember, Satan is a parasite. When we have sinned, he is a tyrant. He goes from parasite to tyrant because he doesn't let those desires just, again, stay stagnant. They grow and ravage. The second temptation we see here concerns the lust of the eyes. Read with me verses 5 through 8. And the devil took him up, talking about Jesus, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Verse 8, and Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. If there is any quick route to the Messiahship that could be attained, bypassing what's to come with the passion and the crucifixion, what he knew he came here to do, this here would be the way. Ephesians 2.2, let me remind you, says that the devil has a certain control over the kingdoms of the world. And that's why Jesus is saying this in verse 5-6. I have a certain authority that's been delivered to me, and I'll give it to you in this world whom I will if only you will worship me. Ready to give this to Christ, certain control of the kingdoms of the world in return for his worship and allegiance. Yet the mere thought of it almost causes our Lord Jesus' divine nature to shudder. He replies sharply, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God that you shall serve him only. This temptation that Jesus faced is, again, the second temptation that we all will face. A temptation of lust of the eyes concerns the temptation of certain power, of idolatry, putting other things at times in your life as Christians, even seemingly good things before God himself. It is the temptation of false allegiance. And listen, church, that false allegiance, that false worship and idolatry, and that false power that Satan will promise is such a powerful temptation. 
temptation. It's why, honestly, for me, when being exposed to biblical counseling in Bible college concerning how to uproot and reveal idols of the heart, it was a, like a light bulb going off, especially when I read further from Tim Keller and David Pallison and others, how we don't even realize the temptation and yielding of these certain idols, power, false allegiance to things that Satan's always going to deceive us in. The third and final temptation as revealed in God's word this morning in this narrative concerns the pride of life. Read with me verses 9 through 12. And he, talking about Satan, took him to Jerusalem and set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 12, and Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here, the devil uses a verse of scripture himself, Psalm 91, to tempt Jesus with the sin of pride, to prove himself as who he is, as if it was not enough for Jesus to trust what God has said about him. And we see Jesus' response back, his reply back, again with scripture to the contrary, where he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, stating that it is wrong for him to abuse his own powers, but instead, out of humility, one does not need to test God, but instead where Jesus shows he truly, fully trusts God. Again, this is the third final temptation we see here that we will all face, a temptation of pride, the temptation of thinking that we know better than God himself, the creator of everything and us. It's when we are tempted to not trust God and his will and his ways. And these, again, are all temptations that both Jesus faced and that we all face. In fact, reading this, I can't but help to be reminded of 1 John 2, where in God's word elsewhere it reveals all three as well. Let me remind you, as I've shared my testimony many times with you all, I heard this passage, 1 John 2, first being preached by my student pastor as my parents had become Christians and was forcing me to go to church. And I was a lost, very hardened, rebellious eighth grader. And God used this passage to help me recognize and confess that I was a sinner. This is true of me and the world. Although I later did not receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but I recognized walking out later on that night, this is true of me. And where am I going if I continue to give in to such temptations? First John 2 verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, oh, look at these three things, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. What Satan tempted Jesus with is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me remind you, we fall into these temptations because, yes, our flesh is naturally weak. But let me remind you, remember, we have a God who will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises that he can provide a way out. While saying that, let me also remind you probably the top thing you know and remember, whether it be from parents or the church you grew up with or a pastor or preacher and and sermons you've heard and, and devotions that you've read. When most Christians talk about temptation, most go straight to self-control, the importance of controlling yourself, right? That's part of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. In fact, while I agree with this, C.H. Spurgeon speaks heavily into this. and I love this quote. C.H. Spurgeon once said, What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. There are two equally damning lies that Satan wants us to believe. Number one, just once won't hurt. Number two, now that you have ruined your life, you are beyond God's use and you might as well enjoy sinning. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. It will be more of use to you than to be able to read Latin. Apologies to my Lexington Latin School and classical education friends in here, okay? Spurgeon said that, not me. But ultimately, as true as that is, as important as self-control is concerning temptation, self-control outside of Jesus and what I believe we need to know about our true identity as revealed in Jesus' experience in this desert, helps us truly to be victorious. And so again, going back to the text, as as we saw, the text reveals three temptations Jesus faced and that we all face. But now let's go back to this text to see how important our identity and who God says we are helps us fight such temptations. And concerning that, first we go back to verse 1 where we must revise our expectations of what temptation and how it comes about. Read with me in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Verse 1 says that Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, was actually led by that same spirit that he was full of, third member of the Trinity, to face Satan in such temptations. You see, the problem is we often think escape from temptation promised by God means escape from the agony of struggling against temptation. And that is not the case as we read here. In fact, sometimes we are led by the Spirit like Jesus to face such struggles, and there is God-given purpose in the struggle and temptation. That in the struggle, 
there is needed sanctification. Fighting against temptation is hard. We should never expect it to be easy or even peaceful. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, but that is peace with God and with one another. It is not peace with the world or the desires within us. And so I encourage you to revise your expectations. Do not be discouraged or depressed if you're in agony fighting against such temptation, that that means often that the Holy Spirit is there. According to Galatians 5, 17, if the Spirit is there, there is spiritual warfare. And he can sanctify you even in the struggle. Temptation often seems irresistible because our affections haven't yet been truly faint, haven't been trained fully for the glory that awaits us. No, believe God is with you that you're not there by accident and that you are not alone. First, revise your expectations. Two, reclaim your identity. Again, this is a game plan strategy against fighting temptations beyond just say no and have self-control. As we see from verse 3 and verse 9 of this text, two of the three times that Satan tempted Jesus... He started off by saying, what does it say here? If you are the son of God, in which Jesus would answer back with scripture, acknowledging the truth of his identity. You notice that there. Each time he is questioning, trying to cause Jesus to question, if you are truly the son of God, often in our very own sin and temptation, we are tempted to question God and his word. And in that temptation, we can forget our identity in Christ and his truths about us in him. Listen, church, you are to know who you are in Christ when you address the temptations in your life. Satan will always start off by making you forget and attacking that identity first. You are, we are in Christ, children of God, adopted into his family. We are ultimately protected by a heavenly father with a great inheritance. We are sent out by him as outpost of mission, as witnesses and missionaries representing him as that salt and light. Do not forget who you are, whose you are. And this is important to know as we are tempted by what comes in combination of both the world and what we sinfully desire inside that first temptation. Listen, this is important here. This is very important. You, your identity, are not what you desire. You are not what you desire. The world feeds into that lie that your heart and your flesh begins to feed you and that it defines you and what you want. That is why you're viewed as a consumer in the advertising world defined by your buying power and your product preferences. If you want to continue drinking, you are labeled and identified as a drunk. If you want to continue to have sex, 
That is your animalistic need, and you must be true to yourself and what you were born with. And that is lies from Satan. Tell Satan you do not live by bread alone like Jesus did. You're not what you want. That is why people with same-sex desires or addicts or even certain disorders are deceived into thinking that is my true or main identity. It is not. You are not what you want. You are not what you struggle with. You are not what you desire. But instead, you are defined by what God says about you, by what you can only know and see from the word right here. That is why Jesus spit back scripture each time Satan tried to tempt him. That is why we have in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God and spiritual warfare, the belt of truth. My identity, our identity in Christ is rooted in who God says we are and what he has for us in such truths. You must reclaim your identity. Third, you must reorder your desires. Going back to the first temptation and the third temptation in the book of Luke. We notice, for example, with the first one, Jesus was hungry, right? He fasted 40 days and nights. Is hunger bad? No. I see some of you guys shaking your heads. You're kind of question. I don't think so, but I don't want to be wrong here. Hunger's not bad. But next, Satan tries to tempt Jesus into testing God. In both such temptations, Satan is trying to twist in the temptations. The crazy thing is that he did this with the supposed use of Scripture. He misinterprets it. He's trying to deceive in it, which shows that there can be others who take Scripture out of context with us even to deceive. Does Jesus not want to keep his promises and show that he is the Messiah? Yes. But it's not the time or the place for that testing or to break his fast. And again, this goes back into identity in which Russell Moore masterfully points out in his book, Tempted and Tried Concerning the Temptations of Jesus. And he asks in that, in that book, are you fed or are you fathered? Remember, fatherhood and children is part of the identity in our temptations that needs to be reminded and reordered concerning our desires. And let me remind you, we all have one of two spiritual fathers. Remember what Jesus later says about this in John chapter 8. John 8, verse 42 through 47 says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I am not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Know this, there is never, ever in all of Scripture any time a redeeming quality or characteristic of Satan. None. He says, you are following the father of lies. 
Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. With that in mind, this is true for all of us. And with that in mind, Russell Moore again shows the battle between the two here in the wilderness. He says, Satan showed here explicitly what he'd been trying to do all along in the wilderness with, with Jesus. Satan was not just trying to tempt Jesus. He was attempting to adopt Jesus. Satan in all three temptations is assuming the role of a father. First in provision, then in protection, and next in the granting of inheritance. Satan didn't just want to be Jesus' Lord. He wanted to be his father. Church, you want to know how not to submit to those tempting, sinful desires? Know that what Satan is trying to do is change and deceive your identity as one who should be and could be adopted by our perfect heavenly father where he wants to adopt you. It's only in Christ that we have a true good spiritual father. Satan wants to go against that and adopt us for his evil, selfish, harmful purposes. Reorder your desires. Are you fed or are you fathered? Fourth and finally, reframe your future. That second temptation, verses 5 through 8, reveals this. Jesus was not just thinking of the now. He wasn't going to fall into sin to now receive the worldly glory and neglect of the future glory that he would receive. And Jesus knew as Satan tried to tempt him this way that his future included worshiping and giving glory to his father both now and in the future. I've mentioned this before, but I believe that in a season where I had felt probably some of the most temptation from Satan that in the end I did not submit to. But in kind of early 20 years, while even pursuing ministry at Bible college, for whatever reason, I had a few years where it felt like Satan was doing absolutely everything and anything to tempt me into sin in certain ways. And as I'd mentioned before, how I was able to endure and not yield to that sin was when I thought about my future ministry, my future possible marriage and family. God used that for me to exhibit such self-control, used future in those ways, desiring to do it God's way, both now and in the future, to give him glory in those areas in the future, help protect me from not falling into some temptation of the now. Again, going back to this book by Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, he says, 
the main reason why men dote upon the world and damn their souls to get the world is because they are not acquainted with a greater glory. There's a greater glory, both in the new heavens and earth and following his will here today. This still works for me when it comes to certain sinful temptations that I struggle with today. Temptations concerning fear and divisiveness. It can be easy for me to fall into sin of bitterness and get divisiveness if I don't think about the future concerning the mission that I believe God has sent me out on, that God has sent this church on, and what gives God not only the most glory both now but later. Reframe your future. And to conclude, the one who gives us this framework and strategy on fighting temptation of sorts ultimately went through it himself so we can be free from it. Here as we conclude this morning, the needed gospel out of this struggle and health and temptation from the book of Hebrews of why Jesus ultimately went through this. Read with me, it's on the screens, Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You cannot triumph over temptation in your own self. Only Jesus can. And he can and will help. In fact, he's the only one who can help. As it says here, it's part of the reason why he suffered when tempted. But he did it knowing he's able to help those who are tempted themselves. Last quote from Thomas Brooks. We have all things in Christ. Christ is all things to a Christian. If we are sick, Jesus is a physician. If we thirst, Jesus is a fountain. If our sins trouble us, Jesus is our righteousness. If we stand in need of help, Jesus is mighty to save. If we fear death, Jesus is life. If we are in darkness, Jesus is light. If we are weak, Jesus is strength. If we are in poverty, Jesus is plenty. If we desire heaven. Jesus is the only way. The soul cannot say, this I would have, and that I would have. But having Jesus, he has all he needs, perfectly and eternally. Hebrews 4, 15, 16, with that in mind, says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need.
everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed down. I want to encourage you to talk to the Lord about what he may be revealing, what he is saying, about who you are, whose you are, in light of certain struggles and temptations you are going through. I realize that everyone here probably fits into one of two categories. You may be Christians in here struggling with temptation or already submitting to sin, but you know you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's part of the reason why, again, you have conviction. You have reminders like this. He's speaking to you. But one of maybe those three specific temptations stick out that you know you are or currently have been yielding to or you're on the brink of it. You're playing a dangerous game. And I want to encourage you, if the Lord is speaking to you today, talk to your Heavenly Father about it. Do not let Satan deceive into thinking that he can adopt you. So that's going to require repentance, maybe. That's going to require faith. It may require after you spend some time confessing, speaking, pleading, being affirmed and encouraged by your Heavenly Father, reaching out to a discipler, your community group leader, reaching out to a pastor, leader, a family member, a Christian friend, on how you can have accountability in that and with that. And I encourage you to do so. But first and foremost, speak to your Heavenly Father. The other person in the other category would be those who are in here that whether you've grown up in church or this is all new to you, and you may not have a relationship with the Lord. That identity is not there. And again, you have a different father. He's a murderer from the beginning. He is lying. But now God is shining light into what was in the dark. And you are seeing and hearing Jesus' words is truth. That you are a sinner, that sin separates you from a God that loves you so much, that created you for himself ultimately. And you've had enough of following the world and your own selfish, sinful desires and it hindering from what you were lovingly created for. And you know that Jesus, out of his love for you, died on the cross for your sins, went through all such temptations, and then took your sin, although he was perfect, upon himself out of his great love for you. That he rose from the grave, defeating sin and its consequence, which is both spiritual and physical death. That he <laughs> broke such powers in the resurrection. And in that truth, you confess, I'm a sinner, and I turn from my sin. And Jesus, I give you my life. I follow you, and I have faith that you and you alone can save me. And I want that. And I need it. And if that's you, again, whether you've grown up in church and maybe you walked down an aisle and even you had a baptism, but huh, you didn't know what you were doing. But you realize right here, right now, you need it. You need him. And you need that new creation identity in him. You, in your own words, can pray and confess, I'm a sinner, Jesus, and I need you as Savior. Come into my life and heart. I will follow you. Whatever the Lord is leading, we spend time with him, respond in such ways, and I'll pray and we'll sing of our great hope in this Jesus. If you're still talking to the Lord, please continue to do so. If not, will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you, Lord, for those that was just the promise fulfilled in Scripture 
who with confidence drew near to you in this throne of grace, receiving mercy and grace again in their time of need. Some who are in here either struggling heavily in certain temptation or maybe even submitting to certain fleshly sins, recognizing that the such desires is bringing chaos instead of the peace and control you promise. Those who are in here again struggling with lust of the eyes, false power and allegiance, idolatry, or even the struggle of pride, the temptation of thinking that we know better than you and not trusting you in your will and ways. And I thank you, Lord, again, for what you may have been revealing, convicting, and leading to the point of obedience and given those things to you and now seeking even accountability and help and community. You're such a gracious Father. I thank you for this strong reminder of our identity in you. May that forever be put in its place as we continue to struggle and face temptation of sin. Who we are and whose we are. So often not talked about, but needed in temptation. That Satan is trying to deceive us in a false adoption. And God, I thank you, Lord, for anyone in here. And whether they've grown up in church or this is, kind of, this is new, but that you were seeking and saving. And I praise and we know and promise the scripture that be the case and anybody receive you as their Lord and Savior. Angels are celebrating in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that they will let a friend or a family member or a leader in this church know they could fill out one of those cards so that we could follow up and show them and reveal what their life in Christ and identity is a new creation in him forever will look like in the family they have now. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to worship and sing this song, Setting Our Hope in You, a modern hymn that was written for one who was verbalizing a deconstruction of sorts, that this will be, again, worship and reminder for ourselves that all our hope can only be found in you, even in the midst of temptation and struggle. We thank you and we give you this time. We love you. We thank you for adopting us in your family. We pray this in your name, Jesus.